0: Big Finish for the love of stories.
1: You're listening to the Big Finish podcast release date Sunday, the 5th of March, 2023.
0: I'm the doctor. You're a doctor. Mmm, and this is Leela, my traveling companion. We demand to know who you are. Oh, friend or foe, you mean? Oh, friend. Absolutely. We are friends. Good, solid, reliable friends. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hello, and Heather. Hello, I'm Heather Challens. He's Nick Briggs. This is Big Finish. Audiobooks, audio drama and this podcast, all for the love of stories.
2: Benji is off sick today. Oh. Oh. Uh, so in a touch of serendipity, semi-regular podcast guest, Big Finish producer Heather Challens is with us as we celebrate International Women's Day on the 8th of March with an audio drama release entitled Strange Chemistry featuring The Fourth Doctor, Tom Baker, Leela, Louise Jameson, Missy, Michelle Gomez and Amelia Pond, Caitlin Blackwood. What is happening?
1: In a few moments, we'll be chatting to Big Finish Operations Director, Hannah Peel. Following that, The Good Review Guide, known to some as The Good Review Guy, reviews the reviews of Doctor Who Short Trips, Volume 11.
2: Then we go behind the scenes with The 8th of March, A Ghost of Alchemy by Louise Jameson featuring the Fourth Doctor and Leela.
3: Louise Jameson and I play Leela. And I also
2: wrote The Ghost of Alchemy.
1: Following that, it'll be time for listeners' emails sent to podcast at bigfinish.com. Can't wait to read your
2: latest comments there. In our also available segment this week, we go behind the scenes with the other 8th of March International Women's Day audio adventure, Fairies at the Bottom of the Garden, starring Michelle Gomez as Missy and Caitlin Blackwood as Amelia Pond.
4: I'm Carissa Hamilton Bannis, and I am the writer of this particular episode. Then the Randomoid Selectortron will once again be delivered. Delivering a random
1: release with a 25% discount efficiently attached to it by Big Finish content manager Jackie Emery. Nick will now edit in a sneaky peek at that. I will. We're down and
2: safe. And finally, as always, we round off the podcast with a free 15 minute drama tease. And this week, it's from A Ghost of Alchemy by Louise Jameson. American Women, August the 18th, 1920, today.
1: Except that isn't the end of the podcast because we'll be featuring the first part of an exclusive chat between longtime Big Finish contributors, Helen Goldwyn and Louise Jameson. Not to be missed. There was Helen on the pavement in tears, and I thought, oh no, I've been dragged...
5: I it.
2: <laughs> there you are, Heather. How, how are you feeling? <laughs> I'm feeling good, Nick. How are you? I'm good, yes. I'm not, actually. I'm feeling a bit peaky as well. I don't think I've caught the same virus that Benji's got, but maybe I have independently. Um, I should explain to listeners that Heather's just been thrown in at the deep end here.
1: Yes, you asked me yesterday.
2: Yes. And then as we began, you said, oh, my God, I'm first. (laughs) Yes, I'd
1: read the script and then then somehow it didn't quite twig that, oh, I was first. I do have to start speaking now. But uh, it should go fine. I'm no Benji, but it'll be fine.
2: Yes, good. I'm I'm saying nothing. Um. <laughs> uh, by the way, just before we speak to uh, our operations director, Hannah Peel, uh, do you have any opinions on last week's revelations about the pronunciation of Helvetica Neuer, the, the font? I, I read out your um, WhatsApp comment to me at the time. <laughs> I don't know whether you were aware of that.
1: No, I wasn't.
2: Well, you said the person I, I was before is now dead. I yes, can't remember what it's, you said. it's
1: utterly changed my life. <laughs> um, I will absolutely be making an effort. I don't know if I... Do I use that? I don't generally use that font unless it's in a document that other people have sent me. So it's not something that I search out.
2: Have um, you got it on your computer, that font?
1: I think so. It's not something I'm going to check now.
2: OK. Really? But,
1: um, <laughs> God... But no, I always pronounced it as Helvetica New.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And didn't really think
1: anything of it. And I can guarantee that the next time I see it and I have to read it, I will still say it in my head as Helvetica New because it won't stick. No. It won't
2: stick. I mean, I can get my head around saying Helvetica Noia, but maybe not Helvetica Noia.
1: Yes. What, What are the origins of it? I think it's Swiss. Ah, that'll explain it. Yeah. Anyway, isn't it time we chatted to Big Finish operations director Hannah Peel?
2: Yes, it is. Hey. Hello, Hannah.
1: Hello.
2: You're now on the Big Finish podcast. <laughs> Welcome.
1: Thank you. I
6: feel slightly nervous.
2: Do you, don't worry, we'll make it worse for you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> have Have you ever listened to the podcast, by the way? I have. Yes, of course I have. <laughs> She didn't say it was brilliant or anything. It's amazing. It's
6: the best podcast I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> oh,
2: my goodness. Right. <laughs> it's the
6: only
1: podcast she's ever heard in her entire life. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just killing me with the insincerity there. Now, listen, if you'll allow me, Hannah, I'd just like to make an explanation to the listeners, which is this. Everyone's heard of Jason Hay Gallery and everyone's heard of me, all the big Finnish listeners, I imagine. But this is how the company looks. There's this person, Jason Hay Gallery, who is the chairman uh and the owner and co-executive producer with me of the company but he sits at the top there next line down there's me and on the same level as me is you the operations director as me yes so how come no one knows
6: about you because i work behind the scenes i do all of the boring stuff that nobody wants to hear about that makes the the company run (laughs) i'm sure everybody's going to fall asleep during this uh this section of the podcast.
2: <laughs> can you
6: give us a clue
2: of some of the really boring things you do? I
6: can. I pulled up a – so, in the producer's handbook, um, it says that my role has oversight on all the practical aspects of Big Finish, including, but not limited to, HR and recruitment, contracting, royalties, license or approvals, sales, distribution and commercial affairs. And then on top of that, I also control all the uh, approvals and compliances for the company. So all the packaging covers, production content, and the book content.
2: All the grown-up stuff, really. All the grown-up stuff. Yeah. Yeah. How did how did it come about for you? How did you end up being in this position? So, um,
6: in normal Jason fashion, I, uh, I actually <laughs> <laughs> I actually interviewed for one of his other companies. Um, which is his charity company. Um, we were talking through sort of my CV and everything. And my background was production and publishing. Um, I would just moved back from Edinburgh where I'd been working sort of the, in the arts field there and I went off after the interview and then about an hour later, I got a call saying, yeah, I don't want to employ you for my other company. I actually want you to work alongside me across all of my companies. Um, so I started as, sort of assistant for, for all of the companies, uh, which involved travelling and be places and TV shows. And then after I had my first child, I had to be a bit more rooted, um, yeah. so they moved across to Big Finish Productions where I could didn't have to be dashing here, there and everywhere so much.
2: Right. Okay. What would you say are the, um, the biggest challenges of the job?
6: Um making people like contracts
2: <laughs> That's never enough. gonna happen
6: never gonna happen <laughs> no. no yes um the fact that we have so many freelancers and people who work for us and stuff so keeping track of of all of those contracts that come through for all of the, the productions i think it's probably the biggest it's just managing the workflow because obviously we produce so much and so much amazing content but you know there also has all the contracts that come with it and everybody has to be contracted and Uh, Yeah, just sort of managing that workflow. And then the fact that I do wear so many hats, occasionally halfway through wearing one hat, I have to take off a hat and put on another hat, and then, yeah. (laughs) yeah, just having to your mind flip between so many different things all the time.
2: And the compliance listening is quite a big task, isn't it?
6: Yeah. I mean, I listen to pretty much everything the company produces, there's a few exceptions, but yeah, everything the company produces, which you obviously want to listen to properly, which means that you can't do other stuff while you're listening to it. So, yeah, got down tools and and listen.
2: What sort of things would you see yourself as flagging, you know, that might be a concern that should be raised?
6: It depends on what production it is really. Obviously, bad language, any content that we wouldn't deem acceptable within our licence, um, can't mention like brand names for example or or names of like the NHS or things like that so just flagging, flagging things like that. Thankfully I don't normally have to make many amends um, or then listening to stuff just to be like I don't think they pronounce that right and even though it's not my job I'm going to flag it with you anyway to say that that was a completely different word than I was anticipating um, yeah things like that.
2: Heather do you have anything to ask Hannah?
6: What are your favourite
1: things about the job? Oh
2: my favourite things about the
6: job. I like that you can be creative. I do genuinely enjoy working with everyone at Big Finish. I think everyone's so passionate and really enjoys the work, which is nice. Like, it's it's nice not to meet people be like, oh, we've got to do like this today. Like, they <laughs> genuinely enjoy what they're doing, which makes you excited to do the things as well. Um I also really enjoy, like, my role can be flexible. And obviously, I've worked long enough to earn that flexibility, but also it was something that, Big finish are quite good at doing. One because we have so many freelancers as well, but also, you know, having the space to be flexible and work on my own. I was always sort of given the encouragement to have autonomy and make my own decisions and not feel like I was under the thumb of somebody else. Like you know, always encouraged to be creative within my role.
2: That's nice. I I feel very um lucky to, you know, have a colleague like you who, you know, we can talk Sort of openly and freely about stuff and sort problems out all the time, and you're very focused on on solving problems. I always find, you know, rather than perpetuating them. (laughs) So that's uh, which is quite unique uh, in the world. I think I think we're both agreed.
6: Yeah, I'm normally just like, okay, great. So then, how can we solve this? Like, let's fix it. Yeah, (laughs) what's the end
2: goal? and I think that you know, it's difficult for me to say this without sounding patronizing, but I think it's something we should really celebrate having a woman in such a senior role at Big Finish, and it's not something that we've really, you know, we haven't trumpeted that at all, have we? Um, it's no. just
6: we're quite and we're quite good. I mean, you know, Cheryl, who's our sales manager, she runs the whole of you know the sales and distribution. You know, Jackie who manages all the content for the website you know sue who's who's been with us for ages and and knows everything Emily who you know runs all the finances and things like that they're all very very smart women who are quite high up in their in their jobs and I I definitely couldn't do my job as well as I I do without about them to be like felt what's going on um yeah and then and then me being able to to rise up again is part of the flexibility and everything and everyone being so, sort of understanding and and know that your job will be done. It's just you know we need to do it within X hours. I definitely couldn't have three children and probably be a director at any other company if I'm going to be honest.
2: Yeah, yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it works. It works brilliantly. And that flexibility. I suppose I enjoy flexibility like that too. You know what? How do you see the future? Your future with Big Finish? Oh. So I'm resigning tomorrow. Yeah,
1: I love that. Yes, that's Nick's, Nick's way of saying, "Don't leave us, please." <laughs> it, it is rather. <laughs> I mean,
6: we all we always have big, uh, exciting projects sort of going along. So I hope it's just growing with those projects. I mean, there's no day is ever the same. Uh, so it's really quite hard to you know, there's always something happening or something on the horizon. So I guess it's just growing, growing with those and and within that. I mean, again, I've been very lucky in that. I mean, I've been with the company like ten years, but I've been with so many different roles and so many different places, and done so many different things. I don't feel like I've ever sort of been stagnant. Like I always feel like I have had that opportunity to grow and and achieve stuff, which is probably why I stayed for so long.
2: Yeah,
7: mm.
2: and uh, no pressure. But have you any anything you want to ask of us as you know contributors to Big Finish?
6: Ooh. so Any contracts quicker, thanks. I think
2: you'll find I'm very good at signing contracts. You are very good, yeah. (laughs) I have a method, which is the moment I see one, I interrupt whatever I'm doing and sign it straight away, except on the occasions when I don't. (laughs) No, I'm
6: joking. I don't know, no, no, don't. How do you enjoy working at Big Finish?
2: Well, I feel a compulsion to do it. I think that's why... (laughs)
1: He's been here so long, he knows no other way.
2: That's it. I do love it. Yeah, I do. I get very excited about things. And uh, I think my frustration always comes with the the difference between a creative idea, sorry, the the journey between a creative idea and making it actually happen. The nuts and bolts sides, you know. Uh, I just want to get on and have the exciting thing happen. And and the grown up things in between, like sorting out contracts. But luckily, you know, have someone fantastic like Heather to sort that sort of stuff out for me now. Yeah, that's true.
6: And then <laughs> they'd have to deal with the other side of chasing down CD deliveries and finding out when they're going to come in. And
2: oh, yeah. oh god, what about <laughs> Heather? <I> you, Heather? <laughs> How would you answer that question?
1: Um, I mean, like what Hannah was saying about about sort of the flexibility and always feeling like you're growing. I mean, I I've been here a few couple of years now. Um and it always feels like I've got this new project or a new challenge or a new new job. Um with being your assistant as well as being a freelance producer, so there's always something to do and a way that I can grow and develop that you know, someone my age normally wouldn't wouldn't get. I mean I came here straight out of uni um, and I've already been given quite a bit of responsibility (laughs) for good or ill Um, and I'm very grateful to have that and be able to give that um, to give something back in terms of what I produce for the company so yeah that's what
2: I enjoy about the job. That's rather good isn't it? Yeah. Thank you. And again, it's difficult for me to ask a question like this. I mean, um, you know, all of this big finish has sprung out of Doctor Who fandom, and traditionally, I don't think it's unfair to say traditionally Doctor Who is very much a boys' thing. Yeah, it's changed and is changing more and more, which is a good thing, I think. How is it for both of you, as women? in big finish is it you know is it too male dominated is it what what are your feelings about that if i can court some controversy
6: i mean i don't think it within actual big finish i don't find it male dominated i don't know if you're going to remember this or if i should even to say it do you remember when we went to go look for an office and i i went and found the offices and everything we walked in and i wanted to show them to you in jason because i decided on them and we walked in and the man Bearing in mind that I'd be dealing with him constantly, completely ignored me. I was stood in the middle. He shook Jason's hand. He leant over me to shake Nick's hand and then, then acknowledged that I was there. And so, and I could see Nick's face being like, oh my god, like what is? And then um, yeah, at the end of the tour, he took great delight in telling the man that uh, actually I had the final say on whether we would be taking her uh, the offices or not. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs>
2: I do remember yeah. it. I do definitely remember, yeah. it. and I remember kind of being embarrassed and being embarrassed that I didn't immediately say no, no, speak to Hannah. But I was just so shocked at that kind of 1950s attitude. It just really it yeah. shocked me into sort of numbness. Really, yeah,
1: that's mad.
2: But you sorted yeah. it. I also thought I might be too patronising if I kind of fought your corner, but well, I, yeah, yeah. You, you dealt with it. <laughs>
6: But yes, so I sort that gives an indication to no, I don't think I've ever ever felt any anything has been towards my gender anyway in terms of uh you know, within within my role. Oh well, well that's
2: nice to hear. Right, you can go now. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is you've got loads of proper grown up things to do and Heather and I have got to carry on. We've got to conce about.
6: Yeah. Very- Great Bye. Okay, great guys. Thank
1: you. Bye. Thank you.
2: Lovely to see you. Lovely to see you, Bye.
1: See you Anna. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye. Well, wasn't that nice?
1: Yeah. It's always nice speaking to Hannah. I do it mainly over over e- email. I send her lots of emails going, please, can you sign this for me? Sorry, I'm sending so many.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because think... she
1: signs all of the contracts.
2: I think I, I speak to her in some form or another most days whatsapp <laughs> a lot of whatsapping yeah we have a, a little whatsapp group for those sort of quick communications yes, yes. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant and there you are you see operations director the person that many of you never knew about but who is absolutely vital Hannah Peel she
1: knows more than I will ever know <laughs> about this company so it's Time now for our Good Review Guide, finding the latest positive comments about Big Finish Productions to help recommend them for you.
2: And as promised this week, we're looking at Doctor Who Short Trips, Volume 11. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who Short Trips, Volume 11.
8: It is with the greatest honour that I have been designated the Sontaran Rearguard on Ubreus
2: Rear Rearguard.
8: If you stopped running, you could die with honor. I'm not not die at all, thanks. It's better to die with honor than not to die at all. Let's agree to disagree on
2: that one. Messages from the dead.
7: It hurts to be sidelined, to know he won't trust me with more. He needs someone like he needed Romana. The
0: autopilot has lost
7: control, he bellowed. Then turn it off, Romana called. No, that would be madness boomed the Doctor as he flipped several switches and grabbed hold of the yoke. I've taken manual control! He grinned manically as he adjusted the engine output and slowly steadied the room around us. What a brilliant idea! Romana congratulated him, pretending she was oblivious to the fact that it was identical to her suggestion. The Threshold This is emergency programme. I
0: am dead. I am the mask. I will not die. Do you believe that striding around like that everywhere disguises your complete uncertainty as to where you are going? I'm trying to stay ahead of the spatial decoherence. Things are bad enough without us winking out of existence. Besides, she's your TARDIS. You really ought to know the way you Silence! Going. Well, if you can't... Be silent, Doctor. Listen. There is something, something I cannot recall. It broke through in the crash, something, something terrible. Doctor?
2: Death will not part us.
3: She often thought of that first, last day. She had to, in order to load her weapon but tried to never linger on its events. Not on when the wheezing harbinger materialized above Unity Hall, nor on when the sky splintered and the people became bodies and the bodies became dust. Not even on when she picked up the rifle that fell from broken heavens. Security guards rushed forward, but they were too late. Ignoring the ensuing panic, she aimed at the president's chest and fired. Fired And chest
2: president the FMG. Fear of flying. A sudden shudder
1: shook the aircraft and the Skyliner dipped aggressively. An air pocket? She screamed. A short, sharp scream. Wiping her brow, the sleeve came back doused this time, she slumped back in her chair. After a moment, the doctor took off his glasses. Slipping them into his pocket, he looked around.
2: I'd like to assuage your fears, Hawa, but you should be scared. Inside Story
9: A short man with dark hair and a pale Panama hat smiles. Apologies, Miss Morton. I didn't mean to startle you. That's quite all right, I hear Diamina reply in my voice.
4: I don't think these books are escapism.
9: In fact, I believe they may hold more truth than your readers
1: suspect.
2: Big Finish, for the love of stories.
1: Just go to bigfinish.com and type Short Trips Volume 11 into the search pane at the top to find this one.
2: Uh, Righto. That's
1: a weird sentence.
2: It I'm sorry. Well funny. Benji seems to be able to read it out well, yeah.
1: Benji's Benji. I'm <laughs> clearly insufficient. <laughs> so first up, uh, we made this network.coms. So the reviews by Ben Taylor Short Trips Volume Eleven is no less than a showcase for Big Finish at its very best, eclectic, polished, and always original. Mm-hmm. It's also a terrific entry point for new listeners, requiring only the barest familiarity with the TV adventures. Each of these stories offers something different, somehow finding new ways to play in the infinite sandbox that is Doctor
2: Who. Ooh, that's nice. That's a good that's, title, the Infinite yeah. Sandbox. I like that.
1: We'll keep. We'll keep that. <laughs>
2: Yeah, change the name of the company. Uh, next up, warpfactor.com. And this is, of course, our favourite Tony Filer, uh, son of Bill <laughs> Filer, the axons Sorry. Uh, what you get from Short Trips Series 2 is a set of crown jewels. Polished. Series 11. You said uh, Series 2. I did, didn't I? I I saw two ones, added them together and made two. What you get from Short Trips Series 11 is a set of crown jewels. Thank goodness you're here. Benji would have noticed that. He would have been browsing the internet. Uh, Polished and faceted tales that exist between the bigger, broader stories of universe-threatening alien aggressors. Each of the stories in this collection is in the best tradition of the Short Trips range and stands proudly alongside the best examples we've heard. If you like Doctor Who stories that are shorter and more intimate than full-scale universe threat sometimes allows room for, you'll already be a fan of the Short Trips range from Big Finish. And if you're already a fan of the range, Short Trips series 11 is a chocolate box of pure affecting delights. He's a good writer, isn't he, Tony?
1: Yeah. yeah I say that every nice week. One.
2: It's good, good, isn't it?
1: Chocolate box of pure affecting delight. People are doing very well with their metaphors. <laughs>
2: they are, <Robbie. laughs> Very good metaphors in the reviews. A chocolate box of pure affecting delights with soft sandbox Centres. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds like an awful chocolate. Oh god, very gritty.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, and finally, on the Twitter sphere, uh, at Andrew Onsi Air, I'm a staunch fan of the hashtag Doctor Who Short Trips range, and I cannot say how much I loved Volume Eleven. Go on, say A it. wonderful variety of experimental storytelling from the writers and cast. I would highly recommend this for Hoovians and listeners alike.
2: So, Hoovians, not listeners? I don't get it. Anyway, thank you, Andrew. Both. Answer, yeah.
1: Both and everybody. <laughs> everybody should listen to Short Trips, Volume 11. Yes, I think we'll, that's what it's saying.
2: We'll go round in a van with a speaker on top, just play it in the streets. Can you arrange that? Can you drive?
1: No, I can't drive. Okay. Never had, never even had a driving lesson.
2: Oh, Do you intend I to? I should do. Do you want to?
1: Well, yeah, just because rent (laughs) yeah (laughs) just living somewhere where you can't walk everywhere I see what you mean would be cheaper
2: yeah is that true?
1: I'm assuming Mm. because I I live in nowhere and to get somewhere where I live you need a car what about a bike? yeah but that seems (laughs) I don't know why that seems scarier than a car
2: Well, I suppose you could get hit by a car, I see.
1: Yeah, we don't have, have, like, dedicated bike lanes.
2: No. Well, this has been a great insight into the traffic concerns of Heather Challen's life. And uh, that's it from The Good Review Guy this week. Next time, we'll be looking at the Ninth Doctor Adventures, Old Friends. Old Friends. (laughs)
1: Still to come on the podcast, listeners' emails sent to podcast at bigfinish.com, our trip behind the scenes with fairies at the bottom of the garden, plus the randomoid selectotron, randomly giving you a 25% discount on an audio adventure
5: selected
2: at random. Oh! Uh, but first, let's go behind the scenes with the Doctor, Leela and Marie Curie.
5: Hi, I'm Helen Goldwyn and I am the director of A Ghost of Alchemy.
0: Leela,
2: you are about to meet...
0: One of the most wonderful women who has ever lived. Don't dawdle.
5: Obviously, this is a, a special episode to celebrate International Women's Day and how appropriate that it focuses on Marie Curie and the contribution that she made to modern science and to society with her experiments and her knowledge and her her determination. To learn as much as she could about the potential use of radium. My
3: name's Louise Jameson, and I play Leela, and I also wrote The Ghost of Alchemy. I am kidnapped, but you are a hostage. What is the difference? You are valuable. Always remember that, Madame Marie Curie. Your life is one of value. <laughs> They're polar opposites as women, you know, one a woman that is all brain and another a woman that is all heart, really, Leela's heart and instinct, which is very nice to write for because theatrically you've got that, that sort of conflict going on and, and one really can teach the other. So I've I've put those two rather gentle scenes with just the two of them there, which don't really further the plot or carry the story along, but they do look at the human condition and how women can relate and trust to each other, even when they're from completely different backgrounds. I found that, in a way,
5: the most interesting part of the story. Obviously, whenever Leela and the Doctor are introduced into a story like this, there's something to be learnt by Leela specifically and something that Leela will always contribute so Leela is this wonderfully kind of naive character really for all her ferociousness and her her expertise as a warrior she is childlike in her exploration of the world and every adventure gives her some new knowledge and every woman that she meets I think is particularly historical characters and it was the same in the fourth Doctor story that I wrote about Mary Anning. Uh, She's meeting women who are ahead of their time, who, who have ambitions beyond what they've been taught to expect for themselves And when they see someone like Leela, they understand that it is possible to be strong, it is possible to be confrontational, it's possible to state your mind. And there's an envy there from the the side of the the woman born into the wrong era, really. It's inspirational for them to, to meet someone like Leela. And of course, the Doctor is always there as this mystical, eccentric character. People don't know what to make of him at first and they very quickly cotton on to the fact that he is special, that he's there to help, that they can rely on him. And again, that's sort of a a learning curve for Mari, that he is a man who is not going to take advantage of her, is not going to undermine her. He's simply there to respect and honour and and help her.
9: My name is Holly Jackson-Walters and I play Marie Curie. So she has arrived in New York aboard the Olympic ship, and she is there to receive a gift of radium from the American women. So she discovered radium and polonium, two chemical elements, and at that time, there were only a hundred that had been discovered. So it was a massive achievement. And her husband, they, they worked sort of brilliantly together. Um, the radium then caused her demise, which was very sad. Um, but she was incredibly pioneering.
0: We're extremely sorry to drop in unannounced, aren't we, Leela? Are we? Oh, Oh my goodness.
9: The Doctor and Leela have arrived a year too late for what they intended to land um, on Earth for, and so they have uh, stumbled across this event and luckily they have because a crime is about to be committed brauman is about to steal the radium and run off with it and then all this action starts happening on a train and there's the wonderful adventures and and running offs and jumping out of windows and the radium vanishing and it's all just a very
5: exciting indeed I'm Penelope Rawlins, and I have played uh, Matty Maloney. She's an incredible character. She's very um, go-to. She's definitely somebody, when I was reading, I was thinking, you know, if the ship's going down, I'd like to be on her boat. Like, she gets things done, she gets it sorted, and she's basically been supporting Mari on her journey and doing all the fundraising to help her get um, the radium that she needs. And, you know, quite... It's a quite a sweet relationship actually, because it's sort of quite motherly at times, and then sometimes a bit managerial at times because she wants you know her to be able to give her speeches and everything. But also incredibly protective and um, uh, and at times a little bit sisterly as well.
8: I'm Nicholas Farrell, and I'm playing Professor Bauman. Bauman is uh, rather a sad character in, in my view. He's uh, an obsessive and convinced that. Uh, He would have found a cure for cancer um, ahead of Marie Curie, if only uh, he'd had the breaks that that she's had. He he has no uh, faith in in Marie Curie or uh, the female of the species generally. He's an appalling misogynist um, and thoroughly despicable character, Uh, but... Uh, I think justifies everything in his own mind by the fact that he is uh, a brilliant scientist and about, if if only the gods would smile on him, um, about to uh, produce some remarkable research which will indeed cure cancer. Sadly he's mistaken on almost every level.
4: Just
1: go to bigfinish.com to find this one. Type Strange Chemistry into the search pane at the top to find this great eighth of March International Women's Day release out, funnily enough, on Wednesday, the eighth of March.
2: Yes. I actually found myself looking up the release date for the eighth of March <laughs> release. I really did. I was looking out and which day is that? What oh, it's the eighth
1: of March. What is it? Hmm.
2: At least yeah.
1: get the eighth of March out, twelfth of December. <laughs>
2: Well, that would be the big finish style, wouldn't it? Really, I think we—I think we released um, some Christmas stories. I think uh, "Chimes of Midnight," which is a Christmas story, was released in June or something. So,
1: I mean, it's Christmas somewhere. Is it? It isn't. No. no.
2: <laughs> On the planet Venus. Uh, listen. Meanwhile, it's time for listeners' emails.
1: You don't have to wait until the 8th of March to send your emails to podcast at bigfinish.com. You can do it any time you like. And we'll be only too pleased to read it out here on the Big Finish podcast. How about
2: that? You see, normally Benji just improvises that bit, but I wrote something for you, I hope.
1: Thank you. It's most appreciated. And I thought I delivered it really well. It
2: was excellent. Excellent. Thank you. I would give it seven out of ten.
1: You're so generous.
2: (laughs) I'll give you a, a sci-fi bulletin rev- style review. Seven out of ten.
1: Oh, should we do the first one? Yes, What's go the first on, one from? On. It's from Kieran Beeston. Mm. Uh, it's called I Heart Big Finish. Oh. Little an emoji there. So hi Nick and Benji. Well Benji's not here. Hi there. I hope you're both well. Benji's not.
7: That's <laughs> true.
2: <laughs>
1: can answer that for you. Uh, Whilst I may be relatively new to Big Finish, I've only been listening for just over a year, Mm. Big Finish has had me hooked ever since I began listening. Nice. I began with The Great War, the first episode of the fantastic Love You Chris Eccle, Dark Eyes box set by the devilishly handsome Mr Nicholas Briggs.
2: (laughs) Honestly, I'm really sorry to make you read that out.
1: (laughs) Uh, So Kieran's blind.
2: (laughs) So... True.
1: Um. I know. Um, Paul McGann and Ruth Bradley were absolutely superb, with Molly O'Sullivan's constant annoyance with the Doctor throughout the box set making sure I didn't go too long without bursting out laughing. Hey, hey. In fact, it was so good that I almost immediately got myself Dark Eyes 2, which is just as insanely good. The first audio adventure with the 8th Doctor and the Master was so brilliant, Paul McGann and Alex McQueen together made sure there there was never a dull moment. They are truly brilliant. I received Dark Eyes 3 last Christmas and I have to admit that I'm constantly playing it again and again. If Matt Fitton listens to the podcast then he should know that he created some extraordinary scripts for this box set. I haven't got Dark Eyes 4 yet, but I've listened to the trailer, so as soon as I get it, it is going straight into my CD player. I'm so excited. Two exclamation marks. (gasps) Nick and Benji, thank you for everything you do at Big Finish. You are very, very interesting people. Have a great, sorry, fantastic day. Many thanks, Kieran. P.S. This email was sent for the love
2: of stories. Oh, and a little emoji with hearts in the eyes. There. Yeah. yeah, That's nice, isn't it? The interesting thing about that is mm-hmm. I draw your attention to the phrase straight into my CD player. People still have those. <laughs> Do you?
1: I, somewhere. My dad got out an old Walkman yesterday. Oh, wow. Like a proper, like it looks like a brick.
2: A CD Walkman or...
1: I think it's a tape Walkman. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. But it looks like a proper brick yeah. Brick, and the headphones are so spindly.
2: I know, it the was, kind of thing yeah. with, the little, with the little spongy foam on the end. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah.
2: Wow. So Kieran's old school. Kieran's mm.
1: old school, but a new listener.
2: Anyway, but thank you for saying that I'm devilishly handsome um uh, Heather uh next up <laughs> Stefan uh, gongbridge um says oh and it's the title is demon song so we know it's going to be about the first doctor dear Nick and Benji uh, and Heather, um, I've just listened to the first Doctor Adventure Demon song and was wondering if it is just me, or does the earworm in the story sound a bit like something by the Beatles? But it's—can uh, I just say it doesn't? Not only for legal <gasps> reasons, but you know, <laughs> which is an earworm in its and of itself. Uh, yes, in one of its chord progressions. Well. I think Ed Sheeran, Sheeran, what's his name? Ed Sheeran, that's his name, isn't it? Ed yes. Sheeran, yeah. yeah. I keep want to say Sheeran. Ed Sheeran um, uh, said that it's almost impossible now to sort of claim that there are there are only a certain number of notes, so there are only a certain number of tunes, and so lots of tunes are going to sound similar and have similar cadences without it actually being a copy or a rip off. Mm. So that's that's the legal element out with. Uh, do you know whether or not it was based on this song? No, it wasn't. All right, it's <laughs> am,
1: nothing like
2: it. <laughs> or am I just hearing things like the people in the story? You're just hearing things, Stefan. Anyway, I love this story and Stephen Noonan's version of the first Doctor, even more so after the Big Finish podcast on which he featured. See, it's nice to have him on to have a chat. His enthusiasm for and dedication to Doctor Who, which is evident from what he said about his preparation for the role, and his encyclopedic knowledge of the first and other classic era Doctors is amazing. It's true. I was chatting to him on the phone last night. And we were i know—we were doing... A, oh, of course, it's on my diary, isn't it? It's and on it, your
1: it, calendar. Yes. I knew that. its It's a big brown block on your cannon going Noonan
2: Noonan! Three exclamation marks probably. Um It must be uh, great to be able to play the Doctor, being such a big fan as Mr Noonan clearly is. I especially enjoyed his inclusion of the occasional occasional, uh, slips William Hartnell used to make, like that one I just made. Uh, Just one more question, just one more thing, as Columbo would say. Are there any plans for a big finish day? I really enjoyed the last one I attended in Derby 2019 and would love to come over to the UK for another one. All the best. Stefan Gongbridge, uh, writing from Utrecht, the Netherlands. There are no plans for a Big Finish Day this year, but there may well be one next year. So how about that? Yeah, all sorts of plans underway. We were in a meeting, weren't we, this morning, Heather, where there, yes. were, there was mention yes. of that? Yes,
1: It is being discussed.
2: <laughs> By the powers that be. By the powers
1: that be. And finally, from Alan Jope, Uh Good morning, just wanted to send Nick Briggs and Big Finish a RUNT, which stands for random, unscientific note of thanks. Thank you for all you BLOKES do! (laughs) Is there a feminine form for bloke, or is it gender neutral? Alan Jope, Belmont, New Hampshire, USA. Well, I think you can tell from my reaction, it's not gender neutral.
2: (laughs) I think Alan was hoping he was using a gender neutral term yeah. I suppose being from the u s a you probably aren't that familiar with bloke, yeah I suppose what some people use guys as a sort of gender neutral yeah' word, I've used it, hey I've you used guys it. folks yeah. I tend to use folks these days, which is very American, but that mm. that's gender neutral isn't it
1: is bloke is I wanted to say that blokes was Australian then and i don't i don't know whether it is I
2: think blokes is very london uh mm. Let's yeah, should we look it up you blokes? Look it up Blokes If you weren't calling someone a
1: bloke what would you call them now?
2: I don't know. Bloke is a slang email, term for a common man in the United Kingdom, Ireland, Australia, New Zealand and South Africa. The earliest no new easy for me to say. The earliest known usage is from the early 19th century when it was recorded as a London slang term. The, w- the word's origin is unknown, it says in bold. Oh. And though many theories exist regarding its etymology, none are considered conclusive. Yeah, OK. It's a
1: mystery. It was
2: originally used by criminals to mean a man who was not a criminal and usually of high social standing. That's so interesting. So it's a
1: compliment.
2: Yeah. Yeah, OK. Right, um that's it actually for the emails building up to something very exciting there, but it's all over. Uh, we look forward very much to reading more next time.
1: So as Benji has often told you, the randomoid selectatron is firing up as we speak, preparing to offer you a 25% discount on a randomly selected big finish release, which is, I think you'll agree incredible value. We'll also be teasing you with the first 15 minutes of the 8th of March, A Ghost of Alchemy by Louise Jameson, released, again, strangely enough, on Wednesday the 8th of March.
2: Oh. But before that, it's time to go behind the scenes with Fairies at the Bottom of the Garden, the second story in the strange chemistry release for International Women's Day.
5: My name's Helen Goldwyn, and I am the director of Fairies at the Bottom of the Garden. How many little girls
10: are sitting all over the universe right now, waiting for that raggedy man to return? How many has he let down in his egotistic attempt to stifle the evolution of the cosmos? You're a footnote in his regressive crusade. Mm Mm-hmm. You deserve better. You deserve me.
1: Do I have to decide right now?
10: Well, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and the clock is ticking. Take talk, take talk.
5: So this is a really interesting um, episode. Something quite different to what I've done before. You know, it's been really fun bringing back our young Amelia Pond, and uh, she gets another alien encounter. Uh, there's an entity in her garden and in meeting this entity and and coming to terms with the fact that it is real and with a little bit of help from missy who is masquerading as a <laughs> as a therapist she begins to realize that the raggedy man that she met all those years ago must be real too, even though she's been kind of uh, indoctrinated into thinking that she she made him up.
4: I'm Carissa Hamilton-Bannis, and I am the writer of this particular episode.
5: What is up with
10: you? Well, I think we, and that means really you, must stop playing things safe. Uh, nothing good ever happens while waiting around. Oh. You mean I have to act? Precisely, darling. Now, whatever is in your garden right now, it's an opportunity to, to get things moving again.
4: Missy is so formidable and so interesting, and she's just one of the funnest characters on Doctor Who. And I think Amelia too is really, really formidable. And there was a part of me that thought, would these two like each other if they met? And even more so, Amelia, pre-doctor, would probably quite, be quite intrigued by Missy. So I thought having the two of them sort of interact before, you know, Amelia becomes Amy Pond or goes on any of her adventures, we get to see the, sort of the moxie that started out there and how she ended up becoming, you know, quite the sort of universe hopper. And we even have a little bit there where uh, Missy's like, do you want to come with me instead? And get a little uh, hint of what could have been.
5: <laughs> My name's Caitlin Blackwood and I'm playing Amelia Pond in this episode. It's been a long time since I've played Amelia and coming back into it, it's just, it's like riding a bike isn't it, you just fall back into it very quickly I think, so it's been a lot of fun. You do not believe in a future? Sometimes I wonder whether I believe in the past. So I think Amelia at this point she's a teenager so she's kind of struggling through her teenage years at school with family and all those kind of things and for this episode she is meeting Missy for the first time and yeah she's just trying to figure out what this Missy character is like I think. We were very lucky in that, uh, even though this is an early script, it's one of the, Carissa's first scripts for Big Finish, it captures the characters so brilliantly of Missy and Amelia. And so, when we've got those scenes between the two of those characters, it was fun to direct Caitlin and say, Look, you're the same status as Missy. You know, even though you're young, you're still going to become Amy Pond, who who doesn't care what she says to anybody, because she's so kind of assertive, and she's got this innate self-confidence. So we're meeting Amelia at age 16. And this is where we start to see that she's got this kind of quite high status element to her personality. So you know, once I'd said to Caitlin, you can match, Missy. We had some great fun there. The dynamic between them became much more exciting and funny.
4: It's really interesting to do sort of a prequel state version of uh, Amy Pond, especially as, you know, we can see the beginnings of what she turned out to be. And we know we know from when we met her when she was little that she was quite an interesting character. So it's nice to see her sort of as a spiky teenager and getting to see that sort of development of her, of the way that she's able to sort of... You know, come up against Missy, who's arguably one of the most powerful beings in the universe, and hold her own. And even as a 16 year old girl with, you know, problems and living in a small town, she's still pretty amazing. So we can kind of see who she will become even at the beginning. I'm Michelle Gomez and I play Missy in Doctor Who. Let's
10: make this quick. I needed to call out your fairy friends so they can get me out of here. Am I supposed to help you kill the Raggedy Man? Mm hmm. Among other things. You know my answer but you don't know what's at stake for you yet. (laughs) Missy is always desperate to get to the doctor and will um, stop at nothing. She is fearless in in her mission and uh, it means that she gets to be as creative as possible and as manipulative as possible. And she uses her great charm to do that. She sort of, you know, kind of pulls people in. I guess she's Machiavellian in that way.
1: And remember, just go to bigfinish.com and type strange chemistry into the search pane at the top to find this.
2: Any minute now, we'll be drama teasing you with the first 15 minutes of A Ghost of Alchemy when the Doctor and Leela find themselves tangling with attempts to thwart Marie Curie.
1: In the meantime, it's.
2: The Randomoid Selectrotron, where we randomly select a Big Finish release and offer you a 25% discount on it. Okay, there's the link for the Randomoid Selectrotron. Do you want to click it?
1: Oh, God, I've not got it. I've not got the script actually. I've got a printed copy. Of oh, the well, uh,
2: all right. I'll click it then. Here we go. You do
1: it.
2: Open Drill link. Around. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Okay, I'm going to select it. What have we got? Okay, we've got Blake 7 The Liberator Chronicles, Volume 2. Uh, yeah, I've accidentally. Uh, I'll just download the trailer. <laughs> So, this features three stories The Magnificent Four by Simon Gerrier, False Positive by Eddie Robson, and Wolf by Nigel Fares. Yeah. Uh, great cast, of course. Gareth Thomas features as Roger Blake, Paul Darroker, Avon, Jan Chappell as Callie, Jacqueline Pierce as Silverland, Beth, Chalmers as someone else, and Anthony Howell as another person. Other people. <laughs> Here's the trailer. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions Blake Seven. The Liberator Chronicles, Volume 2.
10: We're down and safe. Blake? Can you hear me? Blake? Something wrong? There's something blocking communication with the
0: Liberator. Low-flying aircraft on our tail, sir. They look to be armed. Well, here we are again. Is this a social call?
3: Or are you intending to kill me? It would be perfectly justified. You've so much
10: blood on your hands. I like to tell myself that we stood for something. Blake had a moral code, was leading a crusade against the Federation.
7: Should we be impressed?
0: You don't know what the Federation are like. You're not supposed to know.
10: No, we shouldn't be impressed. We should never have heard his name. That was the whole point.
0: My name is Blake.
8: You pretend this ship is the Liberator, that you're all Blake's crew.
0: There was always a certain amount of risk involved in telling you the truth and setting it on record. Men like you are dangerous. You have to choose a side.
8: I shall never serve you. And I told you, Nairon, you shall, whether you like it or not.
7: Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com
2: so there you are a lovely slice of authentic uh blake seven have you ever seen blake seven Heather?
1: no i'm horrifically uneducated on blake's seven it took me a while to realize there was an apostrophe s
2: yeah it's the seven of blake
1: yeah, yeah.
2: now I'll just email Jackie Emery, the content manager at Big Finish, who uh, Hannah mentioned earlier as one of the women involved in essential roles at Big Finish, to inform her of our random selection uh, so that she can set the offer live on the BigFinish.com website. But I'm thinking it's probably unfair to ask Heather to explain how you get the discount, isn't it? Cause probably, yeah. Normally Benji just reels it off. and also I, I know,
1: it's just gone completely out of my head.
2: So I'm going to have to... go to the Big
1: Finish website. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, go on
1: that's all
2: i've got <laughs> that's it just go to the big finish website
1: yeah that's you'll find it do you go on the podcast page and is there's a link on the podcast page isn't mm-hmm. There.
2: Mm-hmm. yes
1: and then you do something <laughs>
2: this is going awfully well yeah Here yeah you go i'm just sending this to jackie uh
1: but there's usually a link and then you put in book up in capital letters that's
2: it i that's think that's it i think that really covers it actually i think <laughs> do you've... you
1: want me to say it in a more succinct and intelligent no, it's way too like late. it's, all been, I'm it's, it's all been
2: recorded it's
1: gone the chance is gone
2: anyway thanks ran uh, great work and uh, outstanding work from heather there making stuff up off the top of her head uh Next week's pod- what I do. <laughs> Next week's podcast features UFO Breaking Point, our second volume of the exciting adventures uh, based on the live-action-packed TV science fiction adventure show. If I can just use the word adventure a lot more from 1970, uh, created by Jerry and Sylvia Anderson. It was actually filmed in 1969. If there are any pedants out there, I think you'll find it's pronounced pedant, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> And just
1: a reminder that after our 15-minute drama tease of A Ghost of Alchemy, you can hear the first part of a special bonus chat featuring Helen Goldwyn and Louise Jameson. In the meantime, thanks again to you all for listening. The Big Finish podcast was presented by me, Heather Challens, and him, Nick Briggs. Hey Nick also wrote,
2: produced and edited it. And both Heather and I did this for, for the, the love, love of stories. stories. Let's see if that synchronises. And now on the Big Finish podcast, A Ghost of Alchemy by Louise Jameson. And that'll be followed by the first part of a special chat between brilliant Big Finish contributors, actors, writers, directors, you name it, Helen Goldwyn and Louise Jameson.
8: No such thing as miracles. Only science backed with scientific fact.
0: Hey, mister, you have to pay.
8: For this garbage, out of my way. Women should be kept in their place, not heralded as saints. I wouldn't waste my money.
0: Come back. Get back here. You owe me two cents, mister.
8: I owe you nothing. A woman of science, indeed. Charlotte, fake usurper. Well, Madame Curie, you shall not be wearing the crown for much longer. Believe me, your glory days are numbered.
0: control. Well, it obviously is not. Oh, she's simply overdue a service, that's all. Aren't you my old TARDIS? Hey, hand me a ratchet, would you? This? Mm, No. This? Let me look. Not your territory, really. Territory? Mm, Historically, a man's job. What do you mean? I mean, traditionally, men and women had their separate roles. For an instance, take your tribe. (laughs) What about them? Well, the men hunted and the women cooked the spoils.
3: We never spoiled any food we cooked, especially that which had been hard fought for, and the women hunted alongside the men just as the men cooked alongside the women.
0: Uh, uh, bad example, yes, uh, but tell me how you voted. What is voted? Well, you know, made decisions, held court, decided on social structure. You are talking in riddles. Well, but on earth, the women were not allowed to vote for a long time.
3: What is to vote? How long a time? Who said women were not allowed?
0: What to vote is to decide, in a democratic and fair way, the policies of the country you have citizenship to.
3: Like the elders deciding our fate? Consulting with Zoanon?
0: In a manner of speaking. And when women were allowed to vote varied from country to country. Well, from planet to planet, actually, and... What was your last question?
3: Who said women were not allowed?
0: Well, men.
3: (laughs) And who said men knew better than women? Well, men. And what right do men have to No, no, you're right,
0: of course. It was totally unfair that women were not allowed to vote in a so-called, uh, democracy. I shall take you to a celebration. Well,
3: that sounds more fun than plunging me into some intergalactic warfare. Intergalactic?
0: Where did you learn such a turn of phrase? From you, of course. Ah, ah of course, yes. Uh, what was I saying? Celebration. Yes, yes. American women, August the 18th, 1920, today. Voting for the first time. Let's go to the city that never sleeps and dance in Times Square. What fun.
3: You are taking us to this city that never sleeps? yes august the 18th 1920.
0: absolutely arriving at 1900 hours
3: (laughs) you are never that accurate of
0: course i am of course we are my old target she never lets me down (laughs) well not often new york new york here we come
11: You must not ask me. It is too much. (laughs) Please, let me go home. Matty can speak on my behalf.
7: Now come along, Madame Curie. This simply will not do. You are here for a reason, and you must not shirk your duty.
11: I am a scientist, Dr. Rushton, not a public speaker. I have never been able to appear in public without the nerves. How do you say? Getting the better. I am so very tired. Let me rest. In fact, let me go home.
7: This time last week, you were complaining about home. Your pokey little laboratory, the fact that no one in France gives a damn about your work.
11: (sighs) Well, in this moment, my pokey little laboratory would feel like Parisian paradise. Now
7: listen up. There is soon to be a ceremony at the White House. You hear me? The White House. And you are expected. So pull yourself together, get yourself out on that deck, talk to those reporters, and say thank you to the nice ladies for turning out in their thousands to greet you. Show some gratitude for all that's been done on your behalf. Yes,
11: yes, I know you are right. But please, I must rest. Let me gain my breath, and then I'll do my best. Mon Dieu, what is happening?
7: Probably some extra security that's been fitted. Another alarm kicked off by the gathering crowds. Or maybe some reporters tried to jump onto the ship. You are one popular lady.
0: Ah! Ah? Yes, ah! Don't you understand the simple ah? But do you hear it? This
3: is not August the 18th, 1920, is it? Oh, Very
4: nearly. How nearly?
0: Well, we're about one year later. Ah. And? (laughs) Oh, look at that. We're only 16 miles off target.
3: I told you. I said you were never that
7: accurate. Shh, shh, shh. Hush.
0: You'll offend her. We found New York, didn't we? Well, Hudson at any rate. Ah. You see, she is offended. One year. Given that we have all of time and space, I think that's pretty impressive.
3: Where exactly
0: are we? Uh, I'll tell you in a nanosecond. <laughs> oh, this, this could not be better. Somewhere much more exciting than Times Square. Which
7: is? On
0: board the Olympic. What is that? A boat? A spaceship? Hey, it's a ship, yes, but not of the space variety. A very prestigious watership. Prestigious? Just why? Lila? you are about to meet one of the most wonderful women who has ever lived. Don't dawdle.
6: Cheese, milk and eggs, fresh produce.
8: What cost? Pardon me? Your eggs, woman. How much?
2: 55 cents for half a dozen. One dollar for twelve.
8: Daylight robbery.
2: You will not find better price in all of New York. Twelve. Twelve it is,
8: sir. Hurry, for goodness sake, hurry.
4: You must be hungry for your supper, Signore. Can I tempt you to some cheese to melt into your omelet? No,
8: you cannot. Just give them to me. Here's your dollar. Daylight robbery.
3: And you have a nice day, too, sir. Eggs for sale.
11: Best eggs in the city. Buy your dairy produce.
7: Mari, where are you? Everyone is waiting and
11: so excited. Oh, my dear friend, I cannot. (laughs) Don't ask me. (sighs) What's wrong? What's the matter? Is it your cough? No, that is the same as always. Never leaves me.
7: She's refusing to move, Mrs. Maloney. Is there nothing you can do? See for yourself. Quake in and weep in. You are the expert in these things, Dr. Rushton. Surely there's some potion
2: or words of wisdom you can offer. What are we to do? If she's suffering at this level on day one, all my fundraising will have been for nothing.
7: I've tried almost everything. There is one last medicine I can offer. For hysteria, it's strong. Do it, Dr. Rushton.
1: It's all right, Mari. Take a deep breath.
11: Let me go home, please. I'm simply incapable of this.
7: That's not true. Madame Curie, let me offer you...
11: No more pills. They do me no kindness.
0: Well, hello there! What the... Where did you come from?
7: Oh, a
0: very difficult question. We're extremely sorry to drop in unannounced, aren't we, Leela? Are we? Oh. oh, my goodness. Oh, my dear Mary, suffering a bit of stage fright, are we?
7: How did you get past security? And who's this savage? Do
0: you have permission to be aboard? Please. I said, no
11: private interviews.
0: Oh, we're not here to interview you. You all have no fear. Yes, I'm the doctor. You're a doctor. Mm, And this is Leela, my traveling companion.
7: We demand to know who you are.
0: Oh, friend or foe, you mean? Oh, friend. Absolutely. We are friends, good, solid, reliable friends.
11: (laughs) I cannot do this, Matty. Hush now. Strangers invading my cabin. Pills and prescriptions. Journalists waiting.
0: Oh, come now, Curie! You! You who wrestle with the profoundest questions. You who ask the unaskable. Experiments with the unknown seeks to find life's biggest answers, hmm? A few reporters can't be that daunting. What are you afraid of? The only thing to fear his fear itself. Who said that? Who said that? You did. No, no, no. Before me. I mean, someone must have said it before I said it. Or, or was it after me? Or or
7: was it me? This man's a jabbering idiot. I'm in security.
0: Oh, I don't think that'll be necessary. I do not like this man, Doctor. He is dangerous. Shh! Keep it under your hat for now, Leela.
3: You say you are a doctor?
0: Yes, he is. Ah, uh, but not in the conventional sense. No more pills. Normal potions. Oh, completely agree. Very bad for your health, is medicine. Uh, what year are we again? 1921. Yes, yes, early 20th century. Some very curious experiments were legalized.
7: Now, see here. Yeah. This
0: watch. Are you watching? What is happening? Shh. The doctor knows how to help. Observe.
7: You're sleepy.
0: Very sleepy.
7: You can't just come in here and swing a fob watch. You're
0: overcome with sleepiness
11: I am overcome with fear and I don't know what you think you think you, you th- think you think doing... you
7: Marie! Madame Curie! Wait! Both of you, you will see
8: let me stoke
5: I'm not moving. I've been waiting since sunrise for this moment. Out
8: of my way.
5: Hey! Madame Curry is going to cure my baby, and uh, I want to thank her in person. I have to be near the front.
8: No one is getting cured. She's a charlatan.
5: Move, fools! You've
8: all been duped. This woman is no more a scientist than you, sir, or you, madam. She must be revealed for the fake she is, riding on her husband's coattails.
0: Keep listening to my voice and when you hear my fingers click, you will wake up and feel confident and happy. You might even laugh. All your nerves would have left you. Three, two, one...
11: What? Well, how do you feel? Oh, Oh, better than I have in months. What did you do, Doctor?
0: Oh, nothing much. I told you. Come, Madame Curie. Let me escort you to your adoring public. Ugh.
7: Well, I'll be.
2: And let me escort you, Leela, to our cabin. We must find you something suitable to wear.
7: You can't be thinking of letting him stay.
2: You see for yourself, Dr. Rushton. This doctor seems to have achieved everything you could not. We appear to have a miracle worker in our midst. But... No time to
1: waste.
11: She can wear
1: my other dress. Mari only brought two dresses. <laughs> An entire tour of America and she brought only two dresses.
0: One to be cleaned while the other one is being worn. Madam, take my arm. I entirely agree. Decide on a look and stick to it. Always I am made to dress up in totally unsuitable clothing
3: and I cannot breathe properly or run or
1: fight. Oh, goodness me! No one expects you to fight.
7: What just happened? And I placed the queen on her throne.
11: Oh, I'm your churrican.
0: Well, of course you can. Breathing slowly now. Oh. I'm out. <sighs> Excellent. And sit here. How are you finding New York, Madam Curie?
11: I have only just arrived.
3: Louder, please, ma'am. We want to hear. Every
5: word.
3: Tell us how
0: you found the miracle cure for cancer. What would you like to say to the women of America?
7: Oh, one at a time, please. I am sure America will be wonderful. (laughs) Browman, Professor Browman. I'll never find him in this crowd. Professor Browman. Here, you fools. Stop shouting. Oh, thank goodness you're here.
8: Well, Russian, speak. What is your news? I see the witch made it to New York.
7: Yes, there wasn't much that I could... I don't want to listen to excuses. Do you have it? No. Even she doesn't have it yet. Collecting tomorrow. Collecting? From the White House. The president himself. Washington? At what time? Morning. Festivities start around 11 a.m., I believe. A grand due. Lots of security. Well, then how in heaven's name... Here. A press pass.
3: Hello, my name's Louise Jameson, and I've been an actor since 1971, and the character of Leela has stayed with me through almost all of that time, mainly thanks to Big Finish. Um, I collaborate a lot with the absolutely amazing and wonderful Helen Goldwick.
5: <laughs> wouldn't <laughs> That's me. I'm Helen Goldwyn, and I've been working with Big Finish for 20 years. Uh, initially as an actor, and then as a director and writer. Um, and I think Louise and I met probably about you know about 20 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but around that. Uh, so yes, it's a long-running friendship and working relationship. And my favorite collaboration, well, actually,
3: is it my favorite? Helen wrote, you uh, wrote uh, my one woman show. Oh, yes. Which re- kind of really bonded us. I have a very favorite moment. Forgive me for telling this story, Helen. <laughs> I came out of the, the performance. Helen hadn't seen it. And she'd written this wonderful one woman show for me. And I came out of the theater, and there was Helen on the pavement. In tears. And I thought, oh no, I've been drunk. hated it. <laughs> and they were tears
5: of happiness. They I mean, were tears of happiness. Yeah, they were. I think I was on the opposite side of the road wearing quite a kind of childish coat. I seem to remember I was wearing a silly kind of schoolgirl coat. And I was I going- <laughs>
3: <laughs> but the next favorite collaboration, of course, was um, a Girl, which was yeah. the initial International Women's Day launch which I devised. Helen produced and directed and performed in. You directed it. I directed, I directed I co wrote it. it. And, <laughs> Wolf. And, uh, and we were both in it. And uh, yes. yeah. It was an extraordinary experience. And what Helen what you're so brilliant at, Helen, is the is the detail. I mean you're good at everything. but you 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 know, you have this multi talented uh, aura about you. But what you're absolutely brilliant at is the detail. And I'm, and I'm a bit woolly on all that. And you just just gently pulled the reins in the whole time going, no, you can't have a bomb going off here because it didn't go off for another four days or you can't. Can, I mean, the detail was extraordinary that you did. Down from the photo shoot to the sound design noting, you know, it was just fantastic.
5: Well, I think I, I would probably describe that as being obsessive compulsive. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for calling it being detailed, <laughs> unhealthily obsessive compulsive. <laughs> but um, can you remember how we first met? Our very first meeting, because I can. Go on then. It was a, a it was a, a CD signing at Tenth Planet. Oh. I remember signing. Was that the first time? Yeah, we sat next to each other and I went home and I said, I sat next to Louise (laughs) Jones. I was so excited. (laughs) Uh, Little did I know. Yeah, And then I sent you a play that I'd written called Harmony. I think because I was just sending it out to everyone that was trying to get feedback on it. it was the first full length play that I'd written. And then you got back to me and i was so excited when i you phoned like i saw your number i thought oh she's actually read it and then that was when you said yeah i really loved it would you write my one woman play that was how that started
3: i remember the play you wrote it was all each character was based on a musical instrument and the ensemble was the orchestra wasn't it and you did yeah. it like, you know, it was such a clever concept
5: yes they were all musical instruments uh, Hypothetically, so they were members of a choir, but I wanted each one to represent rhythmically and in terms of the kind of energy of them to represent an instrument. It was and they overlapped and they had kind of little movements, musical movements together, but nobody watching that would necessarily know. It was for me to know, Uh, so it was a really interesting experiment, yeah, yeah.
3: Well, well, it did make literally made for a beautifully lyrical script. I mean, well, you know.
5: I've never seen the light of day. <laughs> oh no, oh, it, did. It, it, won. it did. It won a competition at um, the Watermill Theatre in Newbury, so it did have a It had a rehearsed reading there. Oh, did it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thunderbird. Fun fact. <laughs> so I'm looking at our list of questions and uh, one of the first ones is, how did you get into directing and was it something you always wanted to do?
3: Directing wasn't something I always wanted to do. And I got into it because several, after I'd been in the business a few years, you know, the next generation's coming through and they want their audition speeches knocked into shape. And I found that I was rather good at that. I mean, Leslie Grantham, for example, when he came out of prison, I used to do a bit of prison visiting (laughs) and helped him get his audition speeches into shape. And, you know, he got into Edward the rest is history. So, lord. And then I started to work with teenagers and then I was invited to direct at Guildford School of Acting and so on. And then I did some fringe shows and then it just went on from there. And a couple of years ago, I directed my first national tour oh, called yeah. that's the That's the theatre route and the audio route has been Really, via um David Richardson champ- championing me as a as a writer and as a director, um, and I thank him very much. He's been um uh, especially during lockdown, you know i I built a home studio with my first um lot of money from the government. And uh, and it got oh. saw me through lockdown. I I, I worked non stop mainly thanks to Big Finish, a bit of other work as well. But yeah,
5: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, me too. I was in a similar position, and also with huge thanks to David, who's just an amazing, loyal producer, isn't he, and friend and talent, so lucky and so talented. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, brilliant producer. So you, how did you first get into directing?
5: I suppose through writing my own projects, really, you know, it was a means to an end. But I did always have a director's instinct. I remember watching performance class at my college when we were studying musical theatre, and everyone would stand up and sing a song, and I would always desperately want to step in and and give comment afterwards because I knew instinctively how they could enhance what they were doing. Um, But yeah, so when I started writing my own scripts, I would produce and and direct them so that was a means to an end and it's partly because i was desperate to be an actor you know that was my my goal always um but the industry wasn't letting me be an actor so all that creative energy had to be put elsewhere so in a way it's that was a good thing that i was forced to diversify in that way because directing and writing feels incredibly natural to me, but I did resist it for a long, long time. (laughs) I was always like, no, I'm an actor. It was like uh, the seagull, isn't it? I'm an actor. I'm an actress. Um, And people would ask me to write things and direct things and I'd be yeah, yeah, that's easy. I'll do that. But because it felt easy, I thought that maybe that wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. Surely it's supposed to be hard. (laughs) You have recently um, returned to the board, so don't,
3: you know, you talk like actors in the past tense, but it isn't at all. It's very, very present, isn't it?
5: Yes, yes. And it's actually never gone away, even though I kind of stepped away from the conventional industry when I had my kids. um, I really went through that process of letting go of being an actor and that vision of my future. But actually, in letting go of the conventional industry, I actually ended up doing way more performing and creative Stuff. I was so much busier once I said, No, I'm not doing auditions anymore and I don't need an agent. So listen up, kids. <laughs> Autonomy is the way forward. <laughs> it's interesting to hear you say that about, you know, writing because I feel it
3: you could. You could throw any script at me and i could make something of it you know as an actor but
5: when it comes to writing i'm thinking oh, i'm gonna get caught out so. <laughs> oh i've got terrible imposter syndrome oh yeah don't get me wrong i sit and cry for the first week <laughs> i can't write
6: why have they asked me to write
5: <laughs> um but once you're up and running it's it's different isn't it it's the initial storylining and structuring of it that's the technical pain of it. Dialogue is easy. As an actor, I think any actor could write dialogue. It's just the the skill of writing is the plotting and the uh, the dynamics of it, the rhythm of it and the, the texture of it. That's what kind of elevates it beyond just being a bit of naturalistic dialogue. Um, and
3: because we do both and because then when we're put in position of directing, there's a, there's a, a real empathy, I think. Oh, yeah. For actors. For the actor. And, and resist. Because sometimes I think actors can make terrible directors because they just want to do it. They want to demonstrate. Yeah. Really, it's our job to get inside the way that actor thinks and to find the right note that bounces them off the right connection to the text.
5: And that's the skill, I think, in directing. Absolutely. and I think you and I have a very similar approach because we we do want to use that coaching approach. We don't want to demonstrate. We, we want to pull the best performances out of people and make them feel that they've been a collaborative uh, element in that decision-making process. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm looking at the next question. It says, what approach do you take to directing? And you've <laughs> kind of just ex- expounded upon that. But for me, it was an interesting stepping stone in between kind of saying I'm not gonna be an actor, I became a corporate training uh designer and and trainer. So and and it was all drama led. So it was um role play and writing scenarios and writing at forum theatre where, you know, we were demonstrating behaviors in the corporate workplace. I'm not very interested in helping people do their behaviours in the corporate work- workplace, but the skills behind it were so part of life. Yeah, it's so incredibly useful because so much of my work for about four years was about leadership and you know this definition of leadership. I think a lot of people get into a leadership position and think, right, I can tell everyone what to do now. But really, your goal as a leader is to make everyone feel like a leader and make everyone feel inspired and energized and encouraged and motivated and that they, they're collaborating with you. And so that corporate work was the final step in the final piece of the jigsaw for me as a director, because now I adapt my style to suit that individual and make sure that I have worked out a little bit about what makes them tick so that it's not one size fits all, the communication style. And that seems to work. So for any newbie director, top tip
3: is to uh, weave in the first half hour of the day, especially if you're working with people you haven't worked with before literally have a cup of tea with them. And that, that makes, that sets the tone for the rest of the day. Yes. So, right. We've got to start at 10 o'clock. We've got to call everyone at 10 and shuffle in sometime before 1030. And, and then you can get your head down and really work, but you've relaxed everyone. You, you've, you've got to know if they've got kids, how far they've traveled, whether they're in a state when they arrive, all that, you just have to, I mean, I, I find it, much more exhausting directing the day because you have to be on point the whole time even in the tea breaks you have to be slightly on point don't you yes
5: yeah yes i i find them exhausting um <laughs> uh, and i <laughs> i think people have been quite complimentary to me about how how high, high energy i am and how i keep everybody positive all day and i said yeah but you should see me when i get home to my family i'm an absolute <laughs> nightmare I've I'm yeah like i've got no energy left i'm spent <laughs> yeah um because you are it is it's not a fake obviously but you are in directing mode or you are in leadership mode as well if you kind of sink and go yeah yeah should we do scene five now everybody's going to pick up on that energy and it will come through in what you hear so you know a lot of that is is what goes into buoying up the the energy in the in the vocal performances. Um, But yeah, you know, you can always tell if somebody somebody might say, Oh, this is the first one I've done. So then, you know, you've got to talk them through how to manage their script, you've got to kind of really reassure them, you've got to give them loads of praise about how well they're doing. And, you know, it's just having an overview of how much encouragement and autonomy various actors need. Yeah,
3: yeah, I agree. I agree with absolutely all of that. And if you have got a, a a newbie actor on your hands, then again, that's got to you just got to allow for that in the in the um, scheduling.
5: Yes, yes. Yeah. I always add a bit of extra time. Yeah, I also do little little, little little thing in brackets,
3: going really important scene. Take your time. Just reminding myself, you know, yes. that I got to, yeah, gotta, yeah, haven't got to push through everything.
5: So, what would you say is your favourite thing that you've directed, whether audio or stage?
3: Oh, I think audio has to be at a Girl. You know, weaving our way back to Women's International Day. I think it's um, it was such a labour of love. And honestly, if you and I added up our hours and divide, we'd be way under the national average. I think we were being employed illegally.
5: Yes, yeah. We colluded We colluded with that, but uh, we couldn't stop. Yeah, no, couldn't couldn't let it go. And we we got we had
3: a whisper of a Netflix series dangled in front of us after it, and we both know it's got amazing potential, especially you know an all female cast, etc. Mm. Um, but it didn't happen. But it it has um and we were you know finalists for the Audi awards and all that I think that we can really you know pat ourselves on the back for for that because we we knew we had a nugget of gold there but I, I it it gave me a springboard to go oh I I can do this it, it it's the one that got me over the as you say imposter syndrome I do still suffer from that with time <laughs> it it got, it got me over and To uh, having the courage to pitch things into various people in various places, right? Yeah,
5: yeah. I I mean, I think the
3: Audi finalist. you know—that's a lovely thing to have on your CD. So,
5: yeah, I think, as you say, it's a it's a little gem, that series. Well, a substantial gem. (laughs) Uh, The frustrating part for me is that, you know, not enough people know that it's out there and it exists. And in fact, I think there is a TV series in in the offing. There was one announced. It's a bit our sisters, I think. It's something cool. like that. Before lockdown, they were starting, and my hope is that if that ever happens, then people will find our little series. Oh, maybe, yeah, um, because uh, they'll get interested in the stories of those women. Uh, but yeah, it was a, almost a mystical connection to the past. It was the echoes of those extraordinary women, kind of resonated through everything that we were doing, and there felt like this huge responsibility to tell her. An appropriate story to honour them and and help mark their legacy, because not many people know that they even existed. So uh, yeah, that felt like a real privilege to to research it, to learn about it, and then to create something out of it.
3: And- I did a series called Tenko in the early eighties about women this prison of war camp, and it had it had exactly that that feel that, that and, and a sense of responsibility because we are representing women who actually lived their life to the yes. you know, unsunk heroines, really.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yes. And I I the the
3: Marie Curie one, you know, the next the next one, um, writing that was like pulling teeth for me. It was an incredibly difficult process. I mean literally six years from conception to rehabilitation. <laughs> oh my I mean, goodness. God, I spent the entire six years out go <laughs> through so many so many processes, so many people had opinions on it. I found it a really difficult task. And then of course, by the time you were directing it,
5: I was like, now it's in safe, wonderful hands <laughs> and it's so, a great script. I mean, you know it's and it's a great subject matter yeah another story that needs to be told um and so much sort of subtext about. The journey that that Marie Curie had to go on to even stand in public, you know, to to she was a scientist and she had this enormous vision, but the the requirement to play the game and you know deal with men and deal with with politics in order to to further her research you know, we're still fighting some of those battles today, aren't we? (laughs) Not that we're going to diss the men, we love the men. We love men. (laughs) We love the men. However. (laughs) Um, So what, yeah, which of your projects, aside from At A Girl, have you felt passionate about?
3: I wrote a uh, script with Nigel Fares called My Gay Best Friend.
5: Oh yeah, that um,
3: that was funny. Yeah, was great. And he and I, uh, Veronica Roberts, stretched it. And he, he and I, yeah, we had a we had such a fabulous time with it. We took it to New York and and um, Washington and all over Britain and and oh, wow, yeah, we really really had a sort of road trip with it, and made a lot of people laugh. It had one half of the stage was a. Lavatory, and the other half was a literally a closet. The gay man in the closet. Oh, (laughs) it was like a wardrobe, you know, hiding in a wardrobe. And uh, when we took it to New York, they said, um, "What would you? What? What do you need?" We said, "Well, we'll bring all the props, but we do need a lavatory. We need a lavatory on stage, just a loo." They rang us out two days before we got there, going, "Oh, I'm really sorry, but you know, we're finding it very difficult to to you know get the plumbing right." Oh.
5: <laughs> oh my god! I don't go <laughs> so, do want to I want stage. Yes, I do want to use it in front of my audience. Thank you. <laughs> oh boy! Yours. Then, what's been your favorite? I've had a lot of amazing experiences, but I think probably like you, the things that have really felt extraordinary are the, the projects that I've created myself you know in the face of of so many obstacles when you bring something from your own imagination into the the world and then people love it that's the the most the most incredible feeling and i suppose for me it was writing my uh, musical cabaret show with my trio the first big performance that we did was at the english theatre of hamburg Obviously, I didn't know if they were going to get the the lyrics because the lyrics were all kind of this acerbic, bitter, twisted humor. And um, so we sang through this whole show and we were getting a good response. And then at the end, the whole audience stood up and stamped their feet for 10 minutes. It just wouldn't let us go. And I that was the most euphoric kind of high. Feeling that I've had, it thought, "Oh, I I wrote every word and note of that. I created the concept. I wrote the script. I directed it. I was in it. They're they're stamping for me, for me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. You never told me that. Yeah, yeah. It was just the most unbelievable feeling. And then this actor came up to me, a German actor, afterwards, and you know was all over me, like so exuberant and and. and passionate about it it's incredible what you've created it's incredible and then everyone else around me was like in shock the germans around me they said that's our brad pitt that's our equivalent of brad pitt who's <laughs> just been like grabbing you but i didn't know you know um yeah a, so that was uh, amazing as a director you you
3: you kind of get that by proxy don't you you don't mm. have that you don't have that initial high of a of applause. That the main difference between the acting and directing, I mean, this is mainly for theatre, not for audio, but you work incredibly hard as a director in the beginning. And then as it comes to first night, you 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 give birth, you let it go, you release it, you hand over and let let the audience add their layer and then and then you're redundant almost. <laughs> and it's it's exact opposite as an actor, isn't it? You kind of go trust the director, trust your fellow actor, and then oh my god, the first night's coming. Oh my god, we got to go. Why did I ever say I'd do this <laughs> on stage? And then <laughs> and then you work incredibly hard eight times a week.
5: Yes. Weeks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt that, uh, that uh, recently because you know, I, as you said, I went back on stage. In somebody else's show i've been doing my own shows but first time in somebody else's show in about 14 years and during the tech week when you're you know you've got two nights two full days and full evenings in the theater with them doing the lighting and you're just standing around freezing cold in your costume i literally at one point i had my forehead against the wall like <laughs> what what am i doing <laughs> why am i doing this and then of course you open and you get the applause and the and the comments and everybody loves it and you see the smiling audience and uh, then you think oh this is why that mm-hmm. <laughs> i had forgotten in that moment beforehand yeah like a very
3: bad lover this profession i think it just was you in it makes you feel amazing and then it completely ignores you it. Mm-hmm.
5: what I sometimes describe it as the most toxic relationship of my life. Actually, it's my equivalent of the most terrible, um, uh, non—you know, unrequited love. Because as an actor, I was just passionately in love, and and focused, and dedicated, and doing everything I could. And the industry, to me, was just constantly rejecting me you know shutting the door on me locking the door tipping slurry over my head <laughs> and then I'd go but I love you <laughs> <laughs> let me back in um yeah uh, I yes it's my equivalent of of the worst kind of uh relationship really and and my father in fact said to me many years in because I was so frustrated so much of the time, Because I think for for people watching who think actors get rejected from loads of auditions, some actors like me don't even get the audition. You know, you don't even get through the door. So it's not like you're getting auditions every week. You're literally sitting at home thinking,
6: what's happened to my life?
5: (laughs) So, you know, my father said to me after many years of this, you're like a drug addict. He said, you get what you want and it's still not enough, which was true. And then when you don't get what you want, you're just craving it, craving it, and so unhappy in between. And that was a trigger for me to change things and start diversifying more. I thought, yeah, I don't really want to live like that.
3: But also because you're unique, you're either going to be a star or you're going to be out of work. You're not going to sink into a chorus line. No, no. You're not going to be a jobbing actor the way...
5: No, I didn't want to be... uh... Yeah, in fact, I turned down a big job in Fiddler on the Roof. I, I, had, I'd crashed the audition. I sat in the corridor for hours and hours and said, "Why, why haven't you given me an audition?" <laughs> and I got an audition. It was with Topol as well. You know, he was there on the. It was the last time he was going to play uh, Tevye, and they offered me understudy to Hodl, I think one of the daughters, doing a international tour and doing it at the West End and for a year. And I just I couldn't do it. I thought I don't want to be in the, an understudy watching someone else play my part, and me in the background. Tradition, no. So I turned it down, and that's when I started writing. Yeah, I had you, to you're not, it. You're not an understudy. It's like, what? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> and my agent dropped me as well because you said because you turned it down. Yeah. 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 But I, that my gut instinct was so strong, I just couldn't. I knew I couldn't do it. No, you'd be miserable. But I was miserable anyway, having turned <laughs> it down. What can, you do? what, can you do? <laughs> what can you do? What can you write? You direct. You write. You write something. You, you become it. something more. Yeah, yeah. Um. Well, but that leads us into one of the next questions. Have you faced and overcome any particular challenges in your career?
0: Oh,
3: yeah. Where do you start? Chauvinism. Especially back in the day. Yeah. Maybe not overcome it incredibly well. Yeah. That's the first thing that, you know, springs to my mind. But I would say that in 50 odd years I've been working, there's probably five people I wouldn't work with again. That's not bad, is it? When you think of the hundreds and hundreds. Yeah, not bad. Of all the productions, and I'm talking directing, writing, um, performing, producing, all of them. I think there's only about five people. I will
5: not name names, but
3: <laughs> maybe maybe when we turn
5: the glass. Tell me later. Text yeah. me. <laughs> what about you? Um, well, aside from you know not being able to get through the door, I think it was the 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 schmoozing side of things was very difficult for me. Because I was a massive show off on stage yeah. and, a, and quite introverted and reserved off stage. and I didn't know how to get in with the right people. I didn't know how to influence people then when I was younger. and um, and in fact, I found it the whole thing so distasteful, like right? that sucking up to the people that might help you, I would actively with retreat from it. And I think that had a big impact on my career that I couldn't just go up to people and say, So you're going to audition me for a big role next time because I I don't want to be in the ensemble anymore. I'm only doing this job because I want a part next time, but I never said it. I just wasn't confident enough and I wasn't extrovert enough to do that. Mm. And I think people who are very, who can carry their energy off stage with them leave more of an impact. So, you know, people would come and see me and stuff and go, oh my God, you're amazing. And then forget me because I was quite forgettable off stage. I didn't enjoy the attention and I didn't know how to capitalise on it. I, I wouldn't say you're forgettable stage, but I, I I hear what you're
3: saying. I think it's very fortunate that Pennant Roberts' uh, director, no longer with us, took a shine to me in my very early twenties. I didn't get a job I went for for Survivors, but he then saw me for Doctor Who. And I, oh, right. and He then cast me in Tenko, without even an interview, he just championed me. So I, I had him on side for two very major career steps. Although I didn't see it like that at the time, he was just a mate, you know. Yeah,
5: yeah. So it was an authentic relationship. Really authentic. So you're lucky in that respect because, so I was always looking for those. I mean, I had it in you. Actually, you've supported me so much in in you know my creative projects, and I had it. I've had it in David Richardson. And I had it in a lovely director called Deborah Shaw, who cast me in in this quite extreme kids show role where I was playing a baddie. And then she emailed me about three months later and said, do you want to play the lead in high society? And I was like, God, you know, it's finally happened. Someone's recognized that I can do all these things. But that was the only time I think, oh, Barnaby Edwards, Barnaby Edwards and and Nick Pegg have been incredible, supportive friends and, and colleagues. Um, and obviously uh, everyone at Big Finish, but outside of Big Finish, that's it. Just Deborah Shaw. Um, nobody else really remembered me <laughs> in the way I wanted. And I do think that's a lot to do with the impact that you make outside of the work as well. Or maybe it's just, it's just the way it goes sometimes. It's just the luck of the draw, isn't it? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I think you downplay your my charisma, my natural charisma. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, now then, um are there any other types of projects that you've never done before that you would like to do? I'd love to do a major movie, a really big,
3: fantastic, F off major movie. And that's <laughs> nice to put in just to put a tick on the bucket list, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Horror and I've done shorts and I've done kiddies films, but I've never done her.
5: I find that absolutely mind boggling and extraordinary that that's not happened. Because to me, you're it, the A-list, you know, you're so phenomenal. It you're more, of the, more <laughs> gentle than a star. That's again, just luck of the draw. That's just, there's no reason, rhyme or reason for that. But you are up there with the Judi Dentures and the Maggie Smith's and the, you know, Fiona Shaw's. I don't understand why, you, you know, you're one of our best British actors. Actors. No. Um, so, yeah, I just find it extraordinary that that's not, not happened yet. It will. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love that as well. I've never been in a movie. We should write our movie. We should write it. We'll the daughter <laughs> the movie. Only movie I auditioned for was, what's was it called? Company of Wolves. When I was 15, I think I was up for the Red Riding Hood part and I didn't really understand what I was going for, but that's the only time I ever had an audition. For a, a film, so yeah, that's on my bucket list as well. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I would like to. I'd like to direct a musical. I think that would be a nice tying in of all of the elements of my past. You know, obviously, I trained as a dancer initially, and then I was in musical theatre, and I'm a singer and a composer and a director, and you know, I think it would make a lot of sense to be at the helm of of a new musical. I'd like to do an original musical. Um, so, hello, universe. I'm available. <laughs> for bar mitzvahs, too. <laughs> Musicals and bar mitzvahs. <laughs>
0: Big finish for the love of stories.